0: Hey good day everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you so much for being with me. And hopefully, hopefully the weather today isn't gonna to trip us up too much here. It could be a lot worse. Some of the other parts of the country, especially the Midwest, are gonna get hit with a lot more stuff than we are. But you know, hey, we're getting close. There's a little sign outside of a business by my house that counts down the days to spring, and I think we're down below 30 at this point, which is indeed good news. So that's awesome. In fact, it's about a month away, as a matter of fact, from today. All right, coming up on today's program, the weather may be a bit of a nasty surprise for us today, but the automotive companies are waiting for a nasty surprise. They're waiting to find out what is in a report that was delivered to President Trump by Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Did he indeed declare that the import situation when it comes to the automotive industry is a threat to national security? What are the implications of that? Does it mean tariffs? My friend Paul Eisenstein is going to join us on the program today to sort it all out and to talk a little bit about how freaked out the auto companies are about this. That's next on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. And by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans, all found at DeadlineDetroit.com. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me on this Wednesday. And uh, this story that we're about to talk about now actually was uh, sort of came to light on Monday, at least it did to my attention, at thedetroitbureau.com. Joining me right now to talk about it is Paul Eisenstein, publisher of thedetroitbureau.com. You can also find him at the NBC family of companies. Uh, he's been doing extensive work for them lately as well. He's joining us from somewhere on the side of the road in California, Testing the new Nissan LEAF from what I understand, Paul, but that's not what we are here to talk about today. We are here to talk about uh, the auto industry and how nervous they are about this new report from Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross that they have yet to see, but which may confirm some of their worst fears that he is going to somehow find a way to declare it a national emergency, um, or not a national emergency, excuse me, that's the wrong term, but uh, suggest that it's a threat to national security, uh, the current state of of imports in the auto industry. So, Paul, uh, first of all, welcome. Second of all, let's get a little background here on where Donald Trump is coming from in trying to declare the current situation with the automotive manufacturing system uh, that creates some sort of a national security crisis. Uh,
1: <laughs> I think a lot of folks would like to know where Donald Trump is coming from these days because there's an awful lot of stuff that confuses the heck out of people. This is one of the rare cases where you have essentially everybody in the auto industry, dealers, manufacturers, part suppliers, and not just domestic auto manufacturers, you know, Ford, Fiat Chrysler, and General Motors, but Toyota and all the others teaming up to say this is crazy and what they're calling crazy is the commerce department investigation looking into the possibility that autos and auto import auto imports and auto parts imports are a threat to national security uh that is under uh, what do they call it? Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act, which gives the president the authority, if, if such a determination is made by the Commerce Department, to take action. Uh, and he has a number of things he can do, including enacting in, in uh, tariffs that many people leave, believe will be somewhere between 20 and 25 percent on imported cars and car parts. And I think we'll want to talk a little bit about this, uh, Craig, the impact it'll have even on American-made vehicles.
0: Well, and, and we'll get into that for just a second. But if I'm not mistaken, Paul, part of the argument was that uh, Donald Trump wants more steel made in the United States and that importing so much steel from Canada, uh, China, places like this, Russia, for instance, um, that we don't have the capacity to make enough steel in case we were threatened in some capacity. Is Is that what he was concerned about?
1: Well, now, remember, we have a whole bunch of trade wars going on right now. So there were tariffs that he enacted a while ago on imported steel and aluminum, uh, though he's made some curious exceptions, including one for uh, a very close friend of Vladimir Putin. What a surprise. Uh, It seems like, uh, for some reason, uh, one of the countries who is our uh, major enemies uh One of the oligarchs, close to the leader of Russia, seems to have gotten a free pass around some of the trade sanctions that are in place. And uh, so uh, that, that's one of the curious things about the various trade wars he's enacted. Now, he also took steps, as you know, against China, uh, though some of those tariffs have been put on hold while the U.S. and China continue to negotiate. Uh, but that gives you an idea of some of the problems, how this sort of thing can backfire, because when uh, we did start this tit-for-tat trade war with China, they enacted restrictions on a whole bunch of stuff made in the United States, including American-made cars, which essentially, uh, in a very competitive market like China, meant that the market for vehicles, well, Ford Mustang, uh, Tesla Model 3, and others, suddenly dried up. And that's one of the things that a lot of people are worried about. If we go ahead and enact tariffs on what could be cars from Japan, Korea, Germany uh Britain, and other markets well
0: let 's get back to that American question here for just a second, because you know defining an american made product these days is almost impossible, considering how many parts are sourced from different parts of the world. Uh, maybe it's assembled here, and I know that this was is being designed in a way to attract more jobs to the u s more investment in the u s but frankly, it seems that there's a complete misunderstanding of how the automotive industry works in this day and age i 'm not trying to Uh, to suggest that uh, he hasn't thought this through, but I'm suggesting that maybe he hasn't thought this through.
1: (laughs) I would say that uh, when you talk to most people in the auto industry, they would probably tell you Donald Trump hasn't thought this through, uh, much like some of the other trade battles. Now, remember, this is a guy who says he is a tariff man, who just last Friday said he likes tariffs as a negotiating tactic. And perhaps in some cases, maybe perhaps they do work, but... They also can backfire, uh, what's the term he uses, bigly. And that's what a lot of people worry about, that this could wind up turning into a massive trade war globally. And whatever automotive exports uh, that come from the United States could essentially be shut out of markets uh, from Asia to Europe. Uh, what, uh, What also worries the auto industry is that the uh, the uh, tariffs would affect parts, as you said, that go into American-made vehicles. Now, uh, if you look at Toyota, something like uh, seventy to eighty percent of the vehicles that they sell in the United States are produced either in the U.S. or some of the NAFTA <clears throat> excuse me some of the NAFTA partners. The majority of them here in the U.S. A good example is the Toyota Camry, which is made down in Kentucky. Well, Toyota estimates that the price tag for that vehicle will go up about $1,600 if a 25% tariff were put in place because of the parts that do come from abroad. Those are everything from Well, batteries and windshield wipers do, on some vehicles, uh, whole engines and transmissions. And by the way, it's not just Toyota or uh, the Hyundai plant down in Alabama or so on. Uh, But the Detroit manufacturers also worry that they would be in a position where they would be heavily penalized. And you could see thousands of dollars added to uh, seemingly all American vehicles like the Ford F-150 pickup or Ford Mustang.
0: Well, we're talking about an industry that's already facing a lot of disruption. Uh, They're trying to sock away cash for for the coming changes in the mobility world. Uh, They're they're basically reinventing themselves as we speak. This seems like a, a short term blip that is going to really potentially negatively impact some of that planning for the future.
1: Yeah, you're at a time right now where the auto industry is struggling simply to hold flat car sales that had boomed for the better part of a decade. 2017 saw the first downturn since we emerged from the Great Recession, and Last year, we actually saw a slight increase in sales, a surprise to most analysts. But the gen- the general belief is that we'll see, <clears throat> excuse me, even under the best of conditions, somewhere uh, between a one or two percent and possibly three percent decline in sales for 2019. That is not the sort of situation that you want to be raising prices in, even even if you're talking about some vehicles going up only five hundred dollars. Uh, That's still a substantial hit, especially at a time when new car prices are higher than ever. So any increase, especially when it's just to pay for taxes, uh, which is all a tariff really is, well, that could hurt the auto industry, drive down sales. And guess what? When you sell fewer vehicles, you're talking about fewer American jobs. Well, and and let's like
0: mean if you take a look at this too globally, uh, the impact on this is significant. Uh, One of the things you pointed out in your story is that some of the high-end Lexus vehicles, for instance, most of those are still manufactured in Japan, shipped over to the United States. Uh, Those could see twenty-five thousand dollar increases on some of those, which would put them out of the reach of a lot of potential buyers there. Um, and, and you take a look at something like that. You're potentially damaging some companies that have had a really, really good relationship with the number of the states that they work in with the U.S. government. Uh, there's a lot of cooperation that's going on between the foreign companies and the U.S. automakers right now. Does this threaten all of that?
1: It all is vulnerable to to what we're seeing here and to the steel and aluminum tariffs. You, you may recall that Ford Motor Company said that the hit to its bottom line because of the metals tariffs was about a billion and a half dollars last year. And General Motors had roughly the same sort of impact. So all this adds up to lower profits, uh, higher costs for consumers, and likely lower sales that translate into a loss of jobs. So we very much are at risk as an auto industry here in the United States. Uh, there, there's all sorts of problems. And, of course, uh, typically with a tit-for-tat sort of trade war, it doesn't end at just the particular product that you're you're targeting initially. Uh, it, it's interesting. One great example is a, a rare case where a tariff, in, in a way, worked for the United States. Going back into the 70s, uh, in Germany and a couple other parts of Europe, they started installing a so-called chicken tax or a chicken tariff yeah. on on uh, uh, American-produced poultry products. Actually, there were a few other things, but uh, poultry was the primary problem. And the U.S. responded and put a hefty 25% tariff on foreign-made trucks, particularly pickups. Uh, and, and as a result, it all but cemented the uh the 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 uh control that the domestic manufacturers have had on full-size pickups uh japanese got around it in the compact and mid-size truck segment back then by by producing starting to produce some of those vehicles in the united states but it completely changed the equation now that actually worked out in some ways to the advantage of the united states but there were other things that uh, that uh were never dropped that limited some of the things that the U.S. ships to Europe. So you you have to be careful. Once you get a trade war going, the potential problems can magnify exponentially.
0: My guest right now is Paul Eisenstein. He's publisher of the Detroit He also is a contributor to NBC news and Paul, um, taking a look at this, this is something people haven't considered either. You mentioned, of course, if these tariffs get slapped on these new vehicles that slows down new vehicle sales, that means people tend to hang on to their cars longer, but their repair costs, depending on what vehicle they drive could go up pretty significantly given that a lot of these parts are manufactured elsewhere. There's going to be tariffs slapped on replacement parts, meaning repair costs are going to go up too. Um, do you get a sense that consumers have any idea what might be looking at them right now?
1: No, I don't think the average consumer does until they suddenly go to uh, go to the store and want to get a brand new battery that might be imported and charge uh, the the base charge is forty dollars. Well, uh, just just uh, the tariff might add another ten dollars to it, but manufacturers have a tendency to to knock things up as it goes up the retail chain. Who knows how much more of that could. Uh, wind up costing. And one of the problems is in many cases, once additional prices are slapped onto uh, some goods, unless they face major competition or pushback from consumers, uh, it's often the case that even if a tariff is lifted, you may not see prices go back to the original level. And that could be very, very worrisome. So uh, it's hard to say how it would affect uh, an average American consumer because what parts that they might need for, uh, you know, replacement windshield wipers or replacement battery and some of the other things. Are those American-made or not? And, and by the way, that's one of the problems that the industry has uh, that, that makes them crazy because you have so many parts that come from so many places and often can cross the border and then come back and then cross the border again. You might have a screw that's produced in the United States, shipped to another country, installed in a part, that is then shipped to the United States and put into a component, and then and it goes back and forth. and And they, you know, the challenge of tracking all this and figuring out how much of those individual parts actually have to be hit with the additional tariffs is is a nightmare. Uh, it 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 makes accountants sweat at night. <laughs>
0: Well, Paul, one of the things that we are seeing, though, is that the auto industry is not going to take this uh, sitting down. We've already heard a couple of the big lobbying groups, um, one on behalf of the manufacturers, the other on behalf of the dealers, coming out uh, speaking very vocally about this, as a matter of fact. And I I believe it was the uh, American International Auto Dealers Association president called it a a bogus report, even though it hasn't been released yet. Uh, Ford just basically got themselves a new star lobbyist. It looks like they're going to be taking this pretty seriously. What can they do to push back if indeed Wilbur Ross comes back and suggests that this import situation is indeed a threat to national security?
1: Yeah, that that's a big question that uh, we, we just don't know because uh, one of the things that has become very, very clear in this administration is that it doesn't necessarily respond I mean, let let me be blunt. It doesn't necessarily respond to logic. It doesn't necessarily respond to pressure from the places that you normally expect pressure to work. Uh, That's been a big problem. The 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 the, uh, trade war with China is one example. The uh, tariffs on imported metals is another, where there's huge opposition uh, from just about everybody except the few companies that would benefit from that. And. We see an administration that often claims to have results occur that haven't actually occurred. I, I believe that Trump himself was, uh, what, just a few weeks ago, claiming that U.S. Steel was going to open up a number of factories. and uh, The company itself had to come back and say, uh, no, we're not.
0: Well, he still repeated so, it even after they said they weren't going to do it.
1: Yeah. Well, why let the facts get in the way of a good uh, a good quote? Uh, that seems to be his policy. Speak to his, speak to his base, and tell them what they want to hear opposed to anything that necessarily uh does or doesn't have a relationship with the truth we've seen this time and time again and his base seems to agree uh i think the majority of americans are starting to question a lot of that but but it doesn't seem to change his approach to critical policies that can affect uh manufacturing jobs and the broader economy
0: now now let's be honest i mean we are speculating somewhat here we don't know what's in the report at this time he was Correct. given he was given 9 months to come up with this he basically turned it in a couple of hours before the deadline uh to get this report in uh Tr- president trump i believe has what 45 days to respond or something along those lines I believe
1: um, uh, I believe he has 90 days, if I recall correctly. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It was it was turned in by Wilbur Ross and the Commerce Department on Sunday, about two hours before the actual deadline. Uh, and nobody is talking about what it actually says. So for all we know, they could have come up with a surprise conclusion that there is no indication of any threat to national security. Uh, that seems to be in doubt. I, I don't think that we would see as many of the manufacturers and trade groups uh, going through a freakout if if their own sources didn't indicate that the administration is on the path to enact uh, uh, sanctions that would be Uh, ostensibly the result of a threat to national security.
0: One would think that they would have to have interviewed a number of people from the auto industry as part of this investigation if they wanted to get factual information about what's happening there. So somebody's got to have a clue as to where they're leaning. Um, I can imagine Wilbur Ross contorting himself in in a way to to please his boss, as as most people do in the Trump administration. Um, Do they have any inkling at this point? You know, you suggest that there's it's pretty clear that he's going to come up with some sort of conclusion to to basically you know validate his boss's position on this one. Have we gotten any concrete hints
1: no none none so far. Uh, just the fact that all the industry groups that I have either heard from or directly talked to seem to believe that the administration has found some sort of justification uh what what that report will say we don't know uh will it come out and rule unequivocally that uh that that uh, all these autos and auto imports are a threat to national security or take some sort of middle ground we just don't know but the bottom line is uh, we we expect to hear from the president, let's see, it, uh, he received this, what, on, uh, on uh, February 17th, so we would expect to be hearing from him sometime no later than mid-May.
0: All right, well, we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, Paul, I did mention at the beginning that you were out there test-driving the new Nissan Leaf, uh, which was a groundbreaking vehicle when it was first introduced. Of course, it has been lapped a little bit by some advanced uh, vehicles that have come along in the electric space, How's it measuring up?
1: Surprisingly well. And yes, you're right. It was groundbreaking when it showed up for 2011 uh, as as the first mass market battery electric vehicle. Back then, the original one had less than 100 miles range. Within a couple of years, they boosted it over 100. And for many people, that was more than enough. It has, in fact, been the best-selling electric vehicle battery electric vehicle or bev as they say in industry speak uh ever uh that on the other hand uh, doesn't mean that it's going to retain its leadership for much longer we're seeing the uh, the uh, the leaf rapidly outsold by the tesla model 3 uh, which as you know uh, has been uh accelerating in production rapidly in the last few months uh what will happen in the near term we don't know but clearly nissan had to do something to try to maintain its grip and what it has done is come up with a long-range model this one can get 226 miles uh, estimated on a charge uh, that is about 50 percent more than the uh, the the first version of the second generation leaf which they brought out just a little more than a year ago uh, which was 150 miles and What's equally important is it performs a heck of a lot better. I had a lot of fun driving it around the hills and mountains uh, in the area around San Diego because it really does have a good bit of performance. It handles surprisingly well. And you don't constantly have to be looking down at the gauge to worry about whether or not it will be running out of juice. I've been flogging the car. Uh, for the entire day, I've been in and around the entire San Diego area, and I'm still, well, according to this, I still have 117 miles of range and about 25 miles to drive.
0: Well, I, I have to tell the audience when you say you've been flogging the vehicle around, you are not lying. I've seen you drive some of these vehicles before. So, well, <laughs> yeah, one, true, true. One last thing before I let you go, Paul, because I was on your site and uh, this story caught my eye today because I think many people have thought that Ford left its Explorer problems in the rearview mirror, but they got whacked with a $151 million jury settlement on a rollover in one of their uh, late 90s model Explorers. Uh, is, how close is this to being done for them, or are they still going to be dealing with rulings like this going forward?
1: It's amazing how some of these problems that a manufacturer has can haunt it for years and years and years. Uh, would this be the last case Possibly not. There may be somebody else who didn't get covered by the the class action lawsuits and settlements of of now almost two decades ago, uh, when we had those uh, f- uh, rollover problems with the Ford Explorer. You know that it, it's amazing. It's very very difficult for a manufacturer to walk away from a safety issue like that uh, that killed so many people and uh, generated so many so many headlines. Uh, I should point out that that one hundred fifty one million dollars. Uh, Jury verdict is all but certainly not going to hold up by the time it goes through the appeals process, even should the courts ultimately side with the plaintiffs. Against Ford Motor Company, uh, it's very, very typical for the courts to significantly reduce jury verdicts like this, particularly on the the penalty portion of the verdict. So, uh, if it were to come in at even ten or fifteen million dollars, I'd say that they did pretty good job there representing their clients
0: there. Oh. Well, as I always say, this is a warning to every tech company that thinks it's really easy to build a car. Uh, Just know that this kind of stuff is looming. Well, Paul Eisenstein, we certainly appreciate your time, sir. Enjoy the weather out there in California. Uh, We'll have this nice stuff waiting for you when you get back. Uh, I appreciate your time.
1: uh, It's good to be with you, Craig.
0: Paul Eisenstein is the publisher of thedetroitbureau.com and a contributor to NBC News. We appreciate him being on the program today, and I thank you for listening to the program today. We'll, of course, be following this story as it moves along. As soon as we hear anything, we'll make sure you know as well, since so many livelihoods here in Metro Detroit depend on the health and success of the auto company. So we'll always be following that. Thanks for listening to the program today. We'll be back with another show tomorrow. Don't forget, coming up on Friday, it's the Friday Follies. I've been streaming that live on Facebook for the last few weeks, looking to maybe expand that a little bit coming up, maybe get on YouTube, some other things there. I always post it there anyway, but it could stream live in as many locations as possible, that's great. You seem to be enjoying it, beginning getting a ton of views, which is wonderful. And I thank you very much for that. All of your continued support and listening is making this possible. Have a fantastic day, everybody. Hopefully, hopefully the weather isn't going to trip you up too much today. Just be careful. We'll get through it just a few more days till spring. We'll see you later. The Craig Fawley Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.